of the last week with all that is going on, going on with the weather situation and the storm situation with the hurricane. You may have noticed some people um, checking on one another. Maybe you got a phone call or two from a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a church member. Uh, maybe even before the storm got here, you might have uh, been asked, uh, are you ready for the storm? Things like that. Um, in the aftermath, you may have opened your home. Someone may have opened their home to you, shared their food and water, generators, helped with cleanup. You know, we've got to witness a lot of neighbors doing things like that over the last week. And storms like this and situations like this bring a lot of things to mind, but one of them is how needful we are and dependent we are on one another, how you need your neighbors and your neighbor needs you. You know, the Bible puts a major emphasis on how we relate to others. We, you know, we tend to just think about our relationship with God when we think about the Bible, but other than that, the main emphasis of the Bible is our relationship with others. And um, the first humans, in fact, Adam and Eve, were told to what? Be fruitful and to multiply. So God's vision for the earth, God's plan from the beginning, was an earth full of people who were cooperating together, living in harmony with one another, stewarding his earth well. In fact, the Old Testament law uh, teaches that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've probably heard that one before, particularly if you grew up around church or, or spend much time in church. And the second one is to love, the second thing right, right after that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, when Jesus was asked in the New Testament, in the Gospels, a, a, a smarty pants guy came up to Jesus and he was asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He quoted what is called, known as the Shema uh, to him. And to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and love people. And that is a, the major thrust and emphasis of what we see in terms of uh, how God wants us to live according to his design in life. He is supreme and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Christians are supposed to, be, supposed to be people who are pursuing the love of God and others. And so we should be the world's best neighbors, right? Now, we don't always neighbor well. We don't always love God well. We don't always love others well. And that's because we know sin entered the world. This world has fallen. We are broken people. We sin. We mess up. That's why Christ came to redeem us, to save us, to rescue from our sin, from death, from hell, from ourselves. And restore us to right relationship with God. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, you are being restored more and more as, as God works in you to be a person that loves God more and more and loves others better. But no matter where you go throughout the Bible, Old Testament or New, you will see an emphasis on being a good neighbor, on loving your neighbor. The Old Testament law that we quoted from, the Gospels that we quoted from, the epistles put an emphasis on this, and even wisdom literature, which is what we have been studying the last several weeks in the book of Proverbs. We said in week one of our Proverbs series, Uncommon Sense, that wisdom is a spiritual issue. It's a gospel issue. We talked about that. We know that when we know Jesus, the ultimate wise one, the embodiment of the wisdom of God, he begins to make us wise and wants us to walk in wisdom and not folly. And so today I want to talk about the idea of a particular topic in Proverbs, a particular area we need to walk in wisdom in, and that is neighboring wisely, being a good neighbor. When we are wise neighbors, good neighbors, our communities benefit from that. The poor benefit from that. The hurting benefit from that. As we sang about earlier, everyone flourishes. And if we neighbor poorly, if believers neighbor poorly, everyone suffers. We suffer. The world suffers. Neighboring is a wisdom and gospel issue and one that we need to 
strive towards to be good and wise neighbors. So today I want to share with you three things that we've got to do to neighbor well from Proverbs. And so we're going to be starting in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 through 32. There's a lot we could say about neighboring from Proverbs. Pretty much all of it applies to being a good neighbor, even the topics that aren't addressed to neighbors. But let's look at some passages that are specifically geared towards that. And our main text this morning is Proverbs 3, verses 27 through 32. If you don't have the scriptures with you, it's on... Uh, The screen for you this morning, I read from the English Standard Version. Here we go, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So, we're focusing there on verses 27 through 32. I wanted to read through verse 35 for context. And when you read a passage anywhere in the Bible that deals with neighbors, one common question that will come up is, well, what do we mean by neighbor? Who is my neighbor, right? Like I, I mentioned earlier, when Jesus told some people in Luke 10 that they are to love their neighbor as themselves, there was the smarty pants guy that came up and said, well, who's my neighbor, right? And I'm supposed to, okay, that's a, that's a great answer, Jesus. So who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded by giving him a story uh, called the good story. We know it as the story of the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. In other words, Jesus responded with a story that told him how to be a good neighbor. In other words, instead of focusing on who my neighbor is, the better question is, how do I be a good neighbor? So Jesus kind of turned it on him and said, you go and do likewise. You go and be a, a good neighbor. And he gave him this example of it. Because your neighbor is ultimately anyone that you come across, particularly with a need. Those you do life with, especially, but it's anyone that you come across, particularly with a need. However, it was pointed out in a, in a, in a book called The Art of Neighboring by Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon uh, that in our culture we have generalized the term neighbor so much that we sometimes overlook the obvious neighbors, which are your actual neighbors. Right? We, we, we tend to go so much into, well, our neighbor's anybody that we make our neighbor nobody. And biblically speaking, your neighbor is more than the person that lives across the street, but it is absolutely not less than the person that lives across the street. It's all those we do life with, interact with on a daily basis, but especially those we live near, work with, shop with, interact with in our spheres of life. In fact, our world today is a much smaller world, right? Uh, With contemporary travel, amenities and the internet and things of that nature the world is a much smaller place and so this increases our opportunity to be good neighbors way beyond our street or our city or our county or even our state so what does it look like to neighbor wisely but especially with those who we interact with on a daily basis at work in the neighborhood at the ball field things like that let me give you three things number one Being a good neighbor, being a wise neighbor, involves pursue the pursuit of doing good. We need to pursue doing good. These are very basic. These are not rocket science. Look at verses 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, what? Go and come again tomorrow I'll give it to you when when you have it with you. Just a basic proverb here. Notice the phrase there, to those to whom it is due. The phrase carries the idea of ownership. It's a good or a benefit that should be theirs. And he says, 
Don't delay giving it. Give it now. This could be as simple as specific or as simple and specific as paying a bill, right? That you owe someone, returning something that you borrowed, or as impactful as helping the poor, destitute, and disadvantaged that cry out for justice, which should be theirs. The idea is you have the power to do good and that that should be used for good to benefit your neighbor. The point is simple. Don't avoid doing the good you can do and don't delay in doing the good you can do. Tripper Longman writes that the point of the proverb is that the wise are attentive, attentive to the needs of their community, particularly those who live near them. And that is the basic gist of what he's driving at. Proverbs grows, this proverb grows in significance when we think of it in light of the command to love our neighbor as ourself. In a sense, it's the good that is due them, loving our neighbor is a good that is due them because it is God's command to us and the way he's designed the world to work best. So we should be actively seeking to do good to all of our neighbors to love them well because we know that is something God wants for them and God wants us to do. So we should be helpful and, bene- and, and look to be uh, a helpful um, neighbor. So it's about action, in other words, not just like not being the jerk neighbor. Okay? Like nobody wants to be that, like the neighbor everybody hates, but it's about more than that. It's about actively pursuing the blessing of blessing your neighbors. So one of the primary categories of neighbors, though, that Proverbs pushes us to engage with, beyond just the people that live next to you and things of that nature, is just the neighbors in our city and in, our, in, in, in the place where we live who may be poor or more socially vulnerable. Uh, Pro, God particularly has a heart for those people and wants his people to have a heart for them. For instance, Proverbs 14, 20 and 21. Proverbs 14, verses 20 and 21 says this. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. So he gives a a situation here in which the poor person, his neighbor doesn't even like him. They they despise him. They treat him wrongly, even the person that's nearest to him and and, and should treat him well. He says, but the rich person has many friends. And so is this just a general thing? Well, I think he's painting a situation that it should not be so, but this is the way it is. In verse 21 he says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. So this disliking, this despising of them is is sinful. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So some will look down on and dislike the poor neighbor, but wisdom calls us to be generous to the poor because to despise your neighbor, and particularly your poor neighbor here, is sinful. Verse 29 and 7 of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Let me read you another one. Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, verse 23. Proverbs 14, 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So it's a mark of righteousness and wisdom to care about the poor and to care about their rights. While lots of things can lead to poverty, one thing that we know from Proverbs that can lead to poverty is injustice. Things like corruption and unfair practices. And the point is, is if we're going to love and serve our neighbor, that should include the poor, and poverty is a more complex issue than many want to make it to be. Christians should be those that pursue justice and practice righteousness towards their poor neighbors because we are pursuing their what? They're good. We want what's best for them. Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. In other words, God cares for and God loves the poor as should we and part of pursuing the good of our neighbors is generosity towards those in need and God smiles on that. He likes that. Now, some practical things. Like in the last few weeks, of course, we've 
didn't have uh, services last week. Uh, we did the care packages for homeless folks here in Central Florida, where many of you over the course of a few months, donated items, and we put together um, just, I think it was like 120 um, care packages to be able to, to, to give out. And so a couple of weeks ago, last time we met, several of you took those, and we've got more available downstairs today. That's a very small way. That doesn't, that's not going to solve all their problems and all their needs and all their issues. Here's what it is. It's a way for, for, for one thing, to remind us that we need to be mindful of, of those who are at a disadvantage and who are in a, diff a difficult spot in life. And it's a way to show them that we actually see them when we're at that traffic light or wherever we may be um, in those situations. We can't do everything for everybody, but we can do something for somebody. Um, doing nothing is, is not a plan. So we need, it's, it's about developing a posture of wanting to be mindful of, prayerful for, generous towards the poor. But not only the poor, the socially disadvantaged. For instance... Widows and orphans are a main concern uh, in Old and New Testament times alike. Proverbs 15.25 Proverbs 15.25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. I'm telling you, you go messing with the widow, you messing with God. God, God defends the widow. He says, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he, he, main, he takes care of the widow. He's, he's got a heart for the widow. Proverbs 23, 10 and 11. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, the, the orphans. He says, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. And their redeemer, of course, is the Lord. So God looks after these folks is the point. He cares for them. Those that could be more easily taken advantage of by corrupt people is the point. As neighbors who pursue good and do not withhold it, we should be on God's side in these kind of situations, not taking advantage of the poor, widow, and orphan, but seeking to bless them. We don't want to put ourselves on, in other words, the wrong side of God. You know, natural disasters like we experienced in the last week, like Harvey in the Houston area and Irma here in Florida, can have a huge crushing impact on everybody, but in particular, in particularly the poor and the vulnerable. When a downtown area gets flooded, that's where many of the poor and the ministries that minister to them are located. Nine times out of ten. It's the widow that has the most trouble when the tree crushes the roof and there's no power in the house many times. It's the house with a weaker foundation that's already in bad shape that stands the worst chance against the winds and the rain. So everybody suffers when these things happen, but these people many times suffer exponentially just due to the situation. I saw images um, over in Texas of nursing homes um, being flooded and, and literally people sitting waist deep in water just waiting to be rescued. Right? I, I, just this past week in South Florida, I saw images on the news of people dying in nursing homes because of the lack of power and no air. It's those most vulnerable who are usually the worst impacted in these situations. So the church is supposed to be people who are postured towards and pursuing the good of all of our neighbors, but especially those that we know God has a particular heart for, which is the poor and the vulnerable, as we seek to be generous and seek to be prayerful and seek to be active in their lives. It was great to call this week, uh, we, as we called some of our senior adults just to check on them, and you know the ones some, many didn't have phones and things like that, and just say, hey, do you, is there anything going on, anything you need help with in here? One person in particular, one of our ladies who is um, not able to get out. Uh, she's um, homebound, and she's this, this morning there at her house. Sweet lady, call her and say, oh, my neighbors have already helped me. They got out, they cleaned up their place, they've already cleaned up my place, right? And so that's what we hope for, that's what we want to see, right? Many of you likely had the opportunity to serve a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member, or somebody in the past week. That's just 
Pursuing the good of your neighbor. That's the first basic point this morning that Proverbs would make. The second one is this, to flee doing evil. <laughs> to flee doing evil to your neighbor. So that's, you know, who would want it? Oh, you've thought about it probably at some point or another if you've had the right neighbor. All right, so look at verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with the man for no reason when he has done you no harm. This section is focusing on the things that we should avoid doing, how we should not treat our neighbor, right? In verse 29, he points out the neighbor dwells trustingly beside you. This person lives near you, goes to sleep at night next door to you, assuming you're not plotting their demise, right? In our culture, you might add, they drive beside you, they shop with you, they work with you in the cubicle or the office next to you, they go to church with you and all these sort of things, go to the ballpark with you, assuming you're not planning evil against them. That's the natural assumption. We just tend to trust those that we regularly do life with. And the point is, don't let their nearness make them your punching bag or lead you to manipulate them for your own good. In verse 30, he says, don't start an argument with a neighbor who's done nothing to you. You say, well, I would never go start an argument with a neighbor for no reason. Let me give you the scenario, all right? So you've had a bad day, bad week, whatever. You come home from work, pull into the driveway. Neighbor's out there getting their mail or mowing their lawn or whatever, and you find yourself in an argument. Why? Because their dog is always in your yard doing things that you don't want their dog to do in their yard. But this particular day, you've had a bad day. And where normally you roll your eyes and move on with your day, this time you just go into them, right? You start, the argument starts and the fussing starts and the, you know, the telling them off starts and all these sort of things. Well, what really happened there? Well, you had a bad day. Or you go to Publix and the cashier who's always slow at, the, at this particular Publix, let's say, in this particular cashier, today it grates on your nerves because you're in a hurry and you've had a bad day and so you start saying Smart little things that you shouldn't be saying. Why? Because is it their fault? Well, it's really more about your bad day, right? That's kind of the idea here. Don't go taking out things on your neighbor. Don't go starting things that you didn't have to start. Avoid doing wrong by your neighbor. In fact, verses 32 to 34 get, I mean, real intense when it starts talking about not envying the violent man, right? Don't pursue the way of the wicked. Don't pursue the way of sin, in life in general and in, in neighboring in general, when you, when you turn on the news or you, let's say you turn on the movies and you see this scenario or TV show play out and the guy and his neighbor, the guy gets to punch his neighbor in the face, don't envy that guy no matter how much you might at that particular moment. That's kind of the point, right? Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy, even when it seems like they're doing well, even when it seems like life is going well for the violent and, and for people like that, don't envy them. No, you're supposed to pursue good and to flee doing evil even if your neighbor has done something that gets on your nerves, which can happen, right? They're sinners, and so are you. So the chances of them offending you and you being offended are exponentially higher uh, post-fall, okay, since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. Now, Proverbs goes further, though, and reveals some specific evils we need to flee. Let me give you two that because they're your neighbor, you might be more tempted to. Running your mouth about your neighbor. Proverbs eleven twelve says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So he says you lack sense if you belittle them, running your mouth and running them down, gossiping, slandering, making fun of them, um, making them look worse so you can look better, those sorts of things. He goes on to say in Proverbs eleven nine, right before that, he writes, with his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. 
you know, they're your neighbor. You work with them, or you live beside them, or they're at the ballpark all the time. So you know some stuff about them. We're not talking about friends. We're talking about friends next week. We're talking about neighbors. And the interesting thing in the Hebrew is in most of the time in Proverbs, the word translated neighbor can also be, it's the same word translated friend. And so the context determines whether it's a neighbor or a friend. So it's either about kind of more about spatial intimacy or relational intimacy. Friends are more about relational intimacy. Neighbors are more about spatial intimacy. It's a more general interpretation. And so when someone is your neighbor but not necessarily your close friend, right, you know things about them but not everything about them. You, you know some things about their marriage that you know just because you share a wall or, you, or your driveway's near them. You, you know some things about their situation with their family and their kids because you're at the ballpark all the time or because you overhear things at work. But you don't know all the details because you're not their close friend and they don't bear those kind of things with you. So you don't know everything. And so when they offend you or they do you wrong or they get on your nerves or they sin against you, there is a stronger, I believe, temptation for you to gossip about them, to slander them, to hurt them with your words simply because you've got ammo and you don't even know all the details. That's why he says, your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Be trustworthy with the information you gather as a neighbor. Don't run your mouth. Also, another temptation is seeking revenge. Proverbs 24, 28, and 29. Chapter 24, verses 28 and 29 says this. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. And do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done to me. The opportunity to get even is what he's talking about there. Don't take it. That's not loving or wise. Don't blame them for something they didn't get to, that they didn't do to get even for the thing that they did do. That's what I meant to say. Don't, don't, don't take revenge. Don't try to get them back. As I said earlier, your neighbor is a sinner. You're a sinner. The chances for all this are good. All right? The chances that you're going to be offended and sinned against are good. And the temptation to retaliate is going to be there. And he says, listen, it's not wise. Do not do this. That's not what it looks like to be a loving, good, or wise neighbor. It's going to be bad for everybody. Don't pursue this path. It's not the path of wisdom. It's the path of folly. Proverbs 21.10. Proverbs 21.10 says, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. Listen. It is a mark of evil and wickedness to not show mercy towards your neighbor. That's what he says. He says it's the soul of the wicked that desires evil. And what? His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. See, mercy is a mark of the Spirit. It's a mark of the believer who has put their faith in Christ, who has been shown mercy by Christ. We show mercy because we have been shown mercy. We're not always as merciful as we should be. But blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And woe to those who aren't. And your neighbor should find mercy in your eyes. As Jesus said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12. What did Jesus mean by that? This is the law and the prophets. That's the same thing he says basically when he says... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself on all these things along the prophet's hinge. And so in Matthew 7, 12, I believe what Jesus is saying. You know what it looks like to love your neighbor? You know, when you sum up the Old Testament, it's basically love God and love others. And you know what that looks like? It means for your, in loving your neighbor, what that looks like is doing to them not what they did to you, but what you wish they would do. Treating them like you want to be treated, not like you're actually treated. 
Living wisely toward our neighbors means pursuing their good and also means fleeing evil towards them. Not running our mouth, not seeking revenge, a posture of blessing, not a posture of sin and bitterness. But here's the more difficult one. Number three, navigate issues wisely. We pursue their good, we flee doing evil, but then there's some things that just don't belong in either category, it doesn't feel like sometimes. You're like, I, I want to, I want to bless my neighbor. I've got this posture of wanting to, to bless them and to do good to them. I'm fleeing doing anything evil. I know I'm not supposed to harm my neighbor, retaliate against my neighbor, run my mouth about my neighbor. I want to be a good neighbor. But then issues arise that you're like, well, I don't know exactly what it looks like to do good towards them here. This is difficult. It's a gray area. It's an area that it's, it doesn't seem black and white to you. Well, that's where wisdom comes in in Proverbs because Proverbs is all about addressing not just what is obviously very black and white but also navigating more difficult issues wisely. And other Proverbs, not the one we read this morning, address that. Because committing to pursuing good for our neighbors and avoiding doing anything sinful, that's the plan we should have, that's the posture we should take and that's a good plan. But in the words of the great theologian Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? At some point, life happens and things get real, right? And you've got a situation you don't know how to deal with. And in the pursuit of being a good neighbor and a wise neighbor, some issues are going to come up that require a little more wisdom than just, well, I'll just do the good thing. Well, what's the good thing? Let me give you some categories that Proverbs addresses. Money. Proverbs 6, 1 through 3 addresses this and some other Proverbs as well. He says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge, given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Now, what's he talking about there? In this particular proverb, the person has put up security. They've basically vouched for their neighbor so their neighbor can get the loan. They've co-signed the loan. That's what they've done in our, in our vernacular. But if the neighbor defaults on the loan, guess who loses? The one who co-signed, right? Because the neighbor didn't, that's why they had to have somebody co-sign. And if you pursue good on behalf of your neighbor, guess what? There are going to be times and instances that may arise where your neighbor is in a financially difficult place and you're going to have to make a decision regarding finances. And what does it look like to do good towards them in that? You're going to have to be wise. And Proverbs in multiple places warns us about getting involved in the financial entanglements of our neighbors. It's not, now listen to me, that it's always morally wrong to co-sign a loan. That's not the point of that proverb. It's that it's a general rule that many times this is unwise for both parties. That we should be generous and give, but generally avoid putting up security for the debt of a neighbor and putting ourselves in a compromised situation because many times you'll be tempted to maybe co-sign for more than you should and maybe for more than they should borrow and put yourself in a tenuous spot. Whereas when you're giving and helping in what you can, you kind of tend to know what you can give and what you can afford to and what you can't. It's a wisdom issue. He's not saying that it's always wrong to co-sign a loan. Or any, uh, uh, he's saying, listen, as a general rule, these things can be bad ideas. You better be very careful. The, the point is just tread with caution. When it comes to dealing with money with your neighbors, be wise. Think things through. Be generous. Have a posture of generosity. Y'all give, give, give when you have opportunity to help and to serve. But be wise and, and not being drawn into something that will ultimately damage you and your family. Good intentions is another category that we have to steward well. Good intentions. Because we've all got good intentions. And when you seek to be a blessing to your neighbor, there are going to be situations where you think, oh wow, I can do this or I can do that. And sometimes good intentions... Um, can be taken very wrongly. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 27, 14. I love this proverb. Proverbs 27, 14. 
Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as a cursing. Right? Here is a neighbor blessing his neighbor. That's the posture, right? That's the position. I want to be a blessing. I'm blessing my neighbor, but he does so with a loud voice early in the morning. There's a Hebrew word for that. Stupid, right? No, but seriously, it's, it's, the, the, it's very basic, right? When you look at it, he's saying like, so like, don't get up at 5 a.m., go to your neighbor's house, knock on the door, and go, hey, it's your birthday, happy birthday. I just wanted to say happy birthday for I had to get to work, you know? And they're like, well, I don't have to be at work when you have to be at work. That, now, that's like the basic understanding of the proverb, but there's a bigger picture underlying this proverb, as many times there are in Proverbs. He's giving you scenarios. He wants you to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is what you mean for good towards your neighbor can be taken wrongly if applied unwisely. Your heart can be in the right place and you can carry something out in a way that actually alienates your neighbor, pushes your neighbor away from you. So social etiquette matters and respecting their boundaries matters and blessing your neighbor on their terms and not simply your terms matters. All this matters in being a wise neighbor. So money, good intentions. Here's another category. Your presence. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 16 and 17. Proverbs 25, 16 and 17. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Verse 17, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. <laughs> it's good to know your neighbors. It's bad to wear out your welcome. That is proverbial. It's a real thing. If one can have too much honey, honey, they can have too much you. Okay, that's the basic gist of that proverb. If, if, if there's too much honey can make sick at your stomach, guess what? Too much of you sometimes can make someone go, that's enough. I mean, you remember back in the 90s sitcoms, they, the, the annoying neighbor, the overly present neighbor was a big thing. Urkel, remember Urkel, Family Matters? Dude was always at their house, right? Remember Kimmy Gibbler on Full House? Always, drove the Bob Saget character uh, crazy, right? Always at their house, right? Because the, the early 90s sitcoms got it. And the idea was, is, is simply this. Steward your presence in the lives of your neighbors and your coworkers wisely. That's the point. Know when to leave and when to give them space. Engage them without invading them. People should not feel like their life is under hostile takeover because you're trying to love them. Don't be overly aggressive. Be wise. So I'm just trying to, I know what you're just trying to do. He's just making the point that if you're not careful, even in what you're trying to do, you can make them hate you. Conflict. That's the next category. Conflict. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. I'm going to read the last part of verse 7 through verse 10. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. What's he saying here? He's saying be slow to take up a case against your neighbor. As a general rule, take issues to them personally, especially before involving others or even especially the courts. Obvious there are times to involve the law. Don't misunderstand. That's not the point. He says, don't be hasty. Don't be hasty. In other words, just because your rake has gone from your garage, don't assume your neighbor stole it, right? Don't, don't be hasty to go involve other people every time there's an argument or a disagreement. Obviously, there are times that you have to get authorities involved. That's there's no-brainer situations in that. That's not what he's addressing here. He's talking about just a general rule. As you do life with your neighbor, 
Be willing to engage them, take issues to them before you go running your mouth about them, involving other people, assuming that they did something wrong and calling the cops or whatever. The big idea is this. Steward your conflict well. Confront them in love. Try to talk things out. Do to them as you would want them to do to you. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And overall, what we see is a picture here of navigating relationships with neighbors wisely. Situations that you're, it's kind of hard to figure out what's the best thing to do. And he's saying just proceed with caution is kind of the general rule here. We need to be wise in how we navigate our relationships with the people we work beside, live beside. Our kids learn beside their kids at school and play with their kids on the ball field. These are our, our closest neighbors. It's a New Testament idea as well, not just an Old Testament idea. We know we're called to love our neighbor. We've talked about that. But we're also called to live wisely towards those, especially outside the faith. Neighbors who aren't even Christians. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says this. Paul writes, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Those are, an outsider, what he means there is those who are not in the faith community. They're not believing. So this would include any neighbor you have that's not a Christian. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So wisdom towards our neighbors, that's a gospel issue. When you read Colossians, when you get to chapter 4, he's giving you the implications of what is true in chapters 1 and 2. In other words, because of who you are in Christ, because of what Christ has done in his death on the cross and his resurrection, because of your identity in Christ, therefore live this way, and one of them is live wisely towards your neighbors. Pursue wisdom. It's something we pursue because we know and love Jesus. It's, wisdom is a gospel issue. Neighboring is a gospel issue. And we love others, the Bible tells us, because He first loved us. We neighbor well and strive to neighbor well because when we were strangers, Jesus made us family. Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor. Uh, this is the gospel. That God became our neighbor. He came and dwelt with us. So that he could bring us into his family. When you go to Proverbs 3.27, the first verse we read this morning says not to withhold good from those to whom it is due when you have the power to give it. Jesus did one better. He did the ultimate good for us in laying down his life for us when we had no right, we had no claim, it wasn't due us. We didn't deserve it. We were undeserving of anything good from him but wrath, punishment for our sin. And in light of that, in light of His death on, behalf, on our behalf, dying for our sins, bearing our sin debt, taking the full brunt of the wrath of God for us, in light of His resurrection and the resurrection power that resides in us through faith in Him, in light of that, in light of Jesus doing this when we were His enemies, how can we not seek to neighbor well? In light of the one who became poor, as 2 Corinthians says, so that we might become rich, how can we not seek to help the poor and the vulnerable? So today, if you've never trusted the one who came to us, who sought us, who dwelt among us, who, the word that became flesh, Christ who came and lived a sinless, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, dying in, died in our place on the cross, bearing our sin debt, rising again. If you've never trusted Him to take your sin away, to be forgiven, to reconcile you to God because He stood in your place bearing the punishment you deserve. If you've never done that, I want to urge you, first of all, to come to Jesus and come, to come into His family. To come into the family of God if you've never trusted Christ. 
And for believers today, the encouragement is this. In light of what we know to be true in the gospel and the call to wisdom throughout the Bible, how can we consider how we can neighbor more wisely and more faithfully? How can we better pursue the good of our neighbors, all of our neighbors, and especially those in need? How can we flee from making sure we do anything evil towards our neighbors? And how can we more wisely navigate issues that will arise? Because the more we engage their lives, the more issues that will arise. When issues never arise, it's usually a sign that we're not very engaged in the first place in the life of our neighbors. How can you do that this morning?